Are you a high-performing real estate investor who's looking to further elevate your performance? If so, download our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits by joining our insider network at elevatepod.com. This guide created by yours truly has the power to put your transformation on autopilot and exponentially change your trajectory. Go get your free copy now at elevatepod.com. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with Dr. Ethan Cross today. Oh, wow. Let me just tell you right now, today you're going to learn about preventative mental training. You're going to learn about what it means to harness this conscious mind, this inner voice, or this chatter that every single one of us has, right? Because our inner voice can either lead us to the direction of our dreams or it can lead us to the direction of our nightmares. And it's all about using tools. It's all about understanding the science behind what's going on in between our ears. Today's a phenomenal day. You know, Elevate is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal growth for high-performing real estate investors. Today is absolutely a day where we're going to understand truly all about that mindset. We're going to truly expand our minds to what's possible. We're going to truly grow as individuals so that we can compound our efforts and compound our future and step into exponential futures, right? To step into exponential growth. And I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I am a professional real estate investor, high performance coach, and it is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts, such as Dr. Ethan Cross, to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time, let's raise the bar. And before we dive in today, I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so already, to follow us on whatever podcast platform that you listen to, because we're going to continue to bring the heat. We're going to continue to bring massive value to you twice a week, sometimes even three, three times, by the way, I'm coming out with these solo podcasts so I can give you some quick hitters once a month at this point. But uh, as we continue to bring massive value, I want to encourage you to follow uh, Elevate Podcast, give us a rating and review because it's extremely important for us as we continue to attract amazing guests like Ethan Cross and some of the world-class thinkers that we have in this beautiful blue planet. So if you're enjoying the show, we invite you to do that. We also encourage you and really ask you to pay it forward and share this with a friend because the fee that we ask is really just that simple. It's just to pay it forward, just to share this episode with one person that you care about or one person maybe that you just met, someone that you want to have a new impression on. Who is it that you would like to share this with? Go ahead and do that now because it's 100% free. Other than that, all we ask is that you pay the fee and that is to pay it forward by sharing this episode and this podcast with a friend and all with all that said, let's dive in. I want to introduce you to Ethan Cross, who is one of the world's leading experts on controlling the conscious mind, an award-winning professor in the University of Michigan's top-ranked psychology department in its Ross School of Business. He is a director, he is the director of the Emotion and Self-Control Laboratory. Ethan has participated in policy discussions at the White House and has been interviewed about his research on CBS Evening News, Good Morning America, Anderson Cooper Full Circle, and NPR's Morning Edition. By the way, also Elevate Podcast here. His research, his research has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the New Yorker, the New England Journal of Medicine and Science. And guys, with all that said, I want to encourage you to buckle up. I want to encourage you to, you know, get your iPhone notepad out or get your phone pad out or get a piece of paper because you're going to want to take notes in today's episode. You're going to want to set intentions for how you're going to transform your inner voice, your chatter. Without further ado, enjoy this amazing conversation with the great Dr. Ethan Cross. Dr. Ethan Cross, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. How about you, Tyler? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show. I uh, really, really appreciate it. I'm excited about our conversation today. I'm really excited to not only to get to know you better, to get to know how you harness your own conscious mind, but how you're shedding the light on science in terms of how we can all do that better, not only for improving our own performance, but only our relationships, 
our fulfillment, our enjoyment of life, our happiness. So I think that this, this is going to be a really, really important conversation. But before we really dive into the meat of that, I would love to get some insight on you, Ethan. If you were to describe yourself in the way that maybe your closest friends or family members would describe you, what would they say about you? Uh, what would they say about Ethan? Well, they'd say uh, extremely optimistic, so very positive guy, um, uh, social, warm. Uh, and you want me to get into some hobbies, or do you want me to go deeper sure. into the I'd personality? Yeah, that'd be cool there. to get a um, cool to get a yeah. look behind the curtain there. Um, you know, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit um, non-mainstream hobbies. Um, I don't know. Maybe they are mentioned uh, cooking, cycling, like sports, like spending time with his kids can be really, really um, focused when he needs to be uh, about work. And, and, and I guess I'd also say passionate. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And, and I always like to, to know that because it gives us a sense of who are you, you know, not in the public, right? And mm-hmm. we all have, you know, a, a perception of ourselves in, in public. And of course, we know what we know about ourselves, but I think it's important and insightful for us to understand, well, the people who truly know you, what is that like? And you started with optimistic. I would imagine that, um, you know, optimism has not always been totally natural for you. Maybe that's wrong, but I'm curious, has it been natural for you? Is that something that you You've had to lean into and grow into. Um, actually, it has been it has been uh, something that has always been pretty second nature for me, and I think I get that in part from um, from my parents. Um, but I've always been a fan of looking on the bright side. Uh, you know, a friend of mine in college, one of my best friends, uh, I think it, 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 at some point kind of pissed him off that I was always so positive. And at one point, he's like, "Oh, cross!" He's calling me by my last name why are we so damn positive? And I stopped and I said, because it beats the alternative. And I think by and large, the data support that, that having an optimistic outlook on, on life um, is linked with better performance and, and, and well-being. That's not to say that I'm unrealistically optimistic, um, but, but I do find that in many cases, there are choices that we can make about how we view the world and how we approach things. And adopting that positive outlook certainly works well for me. Um, and and um, I should say, I think what also makes that orientation work really well is I can be really optimistic and hope for the best. And when it doesn't happen, I don't, I don't crumble. I take a couple hours or a day to recalibrate and then I'm off to the next thing. And I think that ability to both maintain an optimistic outlook, but also uh, really accommodate the, you know, our positive outlooks don't always bear fruit, right? So sometimes um, the things we do in the world don't have the intended consequences that we hope for. And I think being able to manage that without really sinking is an important piece to how you can make optimistic work for you. Yeah, because I've seen... No, I've seen I've seen on both ends of the spectrum, right, where folks get, you know, tied up in a negative viewpoint. And of course, that can be that spiral that I'm sure we'll get into today. And, uh, you know, it's really insightful to to just at least observe from the way that you're describing your optimism in terms of maybe a little bit of a mental dexterity where you've got the ability to bounce back, right? When things don't go your way over time, you know, you can bounce back and you can get back on track. And so we've got to check in with, are we going, which, which spiral are we going in the negative or the positive? And so I want to get into some of this preventative training and all this today, but before we get into there, I'm actually really curious where did your fascination arise from, you know, with psychology and even in particular controlling the conscious mind? I mean, where did that come from in particular? Uh, well, you know, it, it, there were, I guess, were two spikes on the timeline that, that sparked those interests. The first was very apparent to me when it happened. And the, the other one only became apparent in retrospect. So what I mean by that is I, when I think about it, I became interested in psychology probably when I was three years old, because that's when my dad started talking to me about psychology. And he was an interesting character, um, not, not formally educated in any intense way, uh, didn't, didn't you know, graduate college dropout, uh, worked and held a bunch of different sales jobs throughout his life but love two things, the New York Yankees and Eastern philosophy. 
And, <laughs> and so he would be reading voraciously and meditating and just talking to me about the things he was reading from the time I was really young. And, and, and part of those things he was reading about had to do with psychology and in particular, how to, when you find yourself stuck and dealing with adversity, what do you do in that situation so that you, to, to get unstuck? And we talk about different kinds of tools that different cultures have talked about over the years. And so that had been part of my upbringing growing up, just those kinds of conversations. Uh, when I went to college, I didn't plan on becoming a psychologist where I grew up in a part of Brooklyn, New York, uh, more or less, you know, like blue collar, middle class. And if you did well in school there, there were basically two career paths that were presented to you. You could become a lawyer, or I like to affectionately refer to the second one as you could become a real doctor. And by what I mean by that is the kind that has an MD, not a PhD um, after, after your name. Uh, but when I got to college after a semester, I realized that neither of those were the paths for me. And I took my first psychology class, second semester of my freshman year. And about halfway through the course, we got to the topic of introspection. Uh, so turning your attention inward to deal with life's troubles. And when we got to that topic, on the one hand, I saw lots of evidence showing that a lot of people really benefit from introspection, this ability to use our mind to weigh in on our problems. This is a uniquely human attribute that serves us well, right? Like it distinguishes us from all other species, lets us do this, these crazy things like develop vaccines in a few months to save millions of people and build spaceships to blast us off into outer space. But at the same time, this ability to introspect, to reflect on our problems also gets us into deep, deep trouble. Uh, leads us to get stuck in negative thought loops characterized by worry and rumination, which fuel anxiety and sadness and anger. And so for me, the real question became, well, why, why is it that sometimes we could tap into this capacity to use our mind to solve our problems, but at other times using that tool just sinks us. And, um, uh, that became a real passion of mine to try to crack that puzzle. And I went to graduate school to learn how to use science to do that. And I've been working on that question ever since. That's awesome. And it just, you know, I, I love that whole story. And it was so interesting. You said at three years old is when you started being interested in, in psychology. And obviously your dad had a lot of impact on you from, from that vantage point. And it just makes me think of my own background. And I'm sure many of the listeners, it's making them think about their own background and, and encountering this inner voice and in, encountering this constant chatter, right? Which you, you, you've coined it as, in terms of chatter. And you talk about getting unstuck, right? Your dad was almost passionate about learning more and going deeper so that he could understand how to get unstuck. And I'm sure many of the listeners are saying, well, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in up-leveling my mindset or getting more clarity on how to, you know, toe this line behind using our mind to solve problems versus allowing it to get to the point where it sinks us, right? So when is that point where our mind or our inner voice or this chatter becomes a liability versus an asset, right? When, when does that happen? Yeah. So why don't we, why don't, why don't I start by providing listeners with, with some, a very quick, hopefully engaging vocabulary uh, lesson here to try to just kind of lay out the terrain. So um, at, the, at the broadest level, the first thing to think about is, is the idea of, of, of self-talk of, you know, or our inner voice. And what does that actually mean? Well, when, when scientists like myself use that term inner voice, what we're talking about is our ability to silently use language to reflect on our lives. Uh, this ability to silently use language to reflect in our lives is a veritable superpower. It lets us do lots of different things that are essential, uh, not only to our ability to function in the world, but I would argue to our ability to thrive in the world. So let me just rattle off a few of the, of the functions that our inner voice allows us to do. At the most basic level, our inner voice lets us keep, keeps verbal information active in our heads. Uh, so if you go to the grocery store, and you got a grocery list, you don't have your phone with you or the list, and you want to remind yourself, hey, what's on that list? You're using your inner voice to tap into that. So I go to the grocery store, it's cheese, yogurt, eggs, 
you know, the pretty Spartan diet. Um, <laughs> my, my kids don't like that. That's your inner voice. Um, uh, you know, if you're reminding yourself what's on your to-do list silently, you're using your inner voice. So our inner voice is part of what we call our verbal working memory system, basic system that is essential to the operation of the human mind. Uh, we use our inner voice for lots of other things too, though, like when we are simulating or planning for the future. So before I give a big presentation, I'll often rehearse in my head what I'm going to say, using my inner voice to do that. Many people before they go on dates report, you know, hey, what am I going to say if they ask me this? Or what, you know, how am I going to open things up? Or I would imagine in, you know, the development and real estate world, like a lot of your engagements with other people, you've got to give presentations and engage in negotiations, simulating how you're going to approach those situations. That's something that we are uniquely equipped to do as humans. It serves us really well. And our inner voice makes it happen. The final thing that our inner voice lets us do is make sense of our lives in ways that really impact our understanding of who we are. So you know, we don't, not every deal we go after, do we land, right? We get rejected. And when we experience those kinds of unexpected negative events, what often happens is we turn our attention inward to make sense of why did this happen? Does this mean I'm a, I'm not good at my job? Am I a bad person? And what we end up doing is we create these stories to explain what happened to us. And those stories really impact our understanding of who we are and your inner voice helps you do that too. So inner voice is helping us do lots of really important things. Now, here's the catch. Here's, here's the rub. Sometimes when we experience adversity and we turn to this inner voice, rather than coming up with that wonderful story that puts it, makes it all make sense and lets us move on with our lives, we end up getting stuck. We end up spinning. We get stuck in a negative thought loop where we're worrying or ruminating about stuff or, or thinking about the worst case scenarios. That's what chatter is all about. It is the dark side of the inner voice. It's incredibly common. Uh, most people that I've talked to over the past 20 years that I've been researching this have experienced chatter at one moment in time or another. Many people experience it every day. And, and that's, that's the real puzzle that we wanna try to solve is when chatter strikes, what can we do not to silence or get rid of our inner voice? That would be a really bad thing to do, given how beneficial it can be for us. But what can we do to harness that inner voice to get unstuck from the chatter and instead free up this amazing capacity we have to talk to ourselves um, and make it work for us rather than against us? So, so that's really the broad terrain. Um, one other thing that I want, one other point I want to just get in there because I think it's really important is there is a difference between chatter and a negative thinking. So chatter refers to getting stuck in a negative thought loop. You, you, you're trying to solve a problem, but you can't stop focusing on the negative and, and you want to stop focusing on the negative. So you keep on focusing it over and over again. So the visual is like being a hamster on one of those exercise wheels. You're running, running, not getting anywhere. There can be value from, from experiencing a fleeting negative thought like, oh, I screwed that up. That was really bad. And then you learn something that, from that and move on with your life. And so we don't want to rid ourselves of negative thoughts. They can serve a really useful function. We want to rid ourselves of chatter. And almost taking it a step further, it's like the negative emotions can bring value too, right? So if you have an experience that, you know, is a learning experience and maybe you could have presented your argument, let's say you're in, in a negotiation and you presented your argument in the wrong capacity, maybe you didn't ask enough questions and you're learning something and maybe the deal didn't go the way you wanted it to, there's value in experiencing that, that negative emotion, but it's about not staying there, right? So not ruminating, correct? That's, that's exactly right. Negative emotions in small doses are, are elegantly adaptive, right? We evolve the capacity to experience negative emotions for a reason. When I experience a small ping of anxiety before a big presentation or a big project that's due, that's really useful because it, it mobilizes me to get to work, to stop you know, watching TV or, or fooling around with my kids and actually do the job that needs to get done. Uh, you know, there, just to drive this po point home a little bit further, I think it's worth doing because 
a lot of people think that the goal should be to rid themselves of all negativity. And I, I think this would be disastrous for us as a species if we were to do that. Uh, there, are, there are kids that are born each year through a, a unfortunate quirk of genetics, they're incapable of experiencing physical pain. So, um, you know, when they put their hand on a stove, they don't feel the painful impulse to pull their hand away. When they're scratching a mosquito bite, right, there's nothing that's telling them to stop scratching it if they scratch too hard. What ends up happening to these, these kids is they end up dying young because they don't put their pull their hand away from the stove. They experience tissue damage. They don't stop scratching their mosquitoes. They get infected. And, and you can imagine the other kinds of negative um, consequences associated with, with that. And so I think it's a really important reminder of just how important negative emotions can be if they're not experienced too intensely or for too long of a period. Yeah. I mean, it, it obviously comes up to me is that, all right, negative emotions are meant to be a teacher for us, right? Negative experiences are meant to be a teacher. So we've got to frame that in the correct perspective, right? Because a change of perspective can almost be anything. And it seems like that is from your work. And if we frame our challenges to learning experiences, then we have the capacity to bounce back and to move in an optimistic direction and we can learn, right. Instead of falling into the same pitfall or making the same mistakes, or even, you know, like you, you like you just described, perhaps even making terrible health decisions because of no em negative emotions. Is that what you're saying, Ethan? Yeah, absolutely. So emotions are tools and that's that's not just positive emotions but positive and negative emotions they're both tools and what we want to be we want to figure out i think that one of the real challenges we face as people is figuring out how to master the usage of those tools we've got this great toolbox in our heads um but we don't get a playbook that teaches us how to use those tools optimally so i think what often happens is we kind of we engage in this trial and error process, or we rely on friends of ours or culture to tell us how to use these tools. And sometimes those friends and cultures are well-informed, but other times they're not, as I talk about in the book, and they can lead us astray. And so just by way of analogy, I mean, think about, imagine a carpenter coming to your house or coming to a job site to build a home. This is a real estate, so this all should be familiar, or there's some real estate listeners here. I mean, imagine if that carpenter hadn't apprenticed, they came with this glorious set of shiny tools, but they didn't know like, you know, when to use a ratchet versus a hammer versus a Phillips for, I don't even know all the tools. <laughs> um, shamefully, my grandfather was a carpenter. I should, you wouldn't get the best looking house. And in fact, it might be kind of shoddily built in a way that might get you into trouble. So what we want is essentially, we have the knowledge out there, thanks to science, to guide people in, in to how to use these tools of their mind, these emotional tools to make, to free up the mind to work for people. And so, so the book is really about communicating what those tools are, uh, both in terms of how to use them well and, and not well. Yeah. And you've, you've uncovered 26 tools, which I think is amazing. And we have this, everyone, every single listener has these tools, right? That they can harness to quiet the mind or to harness emotions in the direction that you learn and that you're growing, that you're progressing. So let's talk about, first of all, you know, the, the, the value of quieting chatter and perhaps some tools associated with quieting chatter. What would you say to that, Ethan? Well, so to understand the value, we need to understand what chatter does to us. So what, what are the pain points? And there are three, there are three big ones. Um, I think of chatter, by the way, as one of the big problems that, that we face as, as, as a people. And I'm not trying to exaggerate things there. After reviewing the data, I really do think this is a huge problem because chatter impacts three domains of life that I think in many ways make life worth living. So the first thing that we know chatter does is it, it undermines our ability to think and perform well at work. And just to give listeners an example of that, I'd encourage them to think about a time where they tried to read a couple of pages in a book, but were worried or ruminating about something. Many people have reported being in that experience. And what they often say happens is they read the three or four pages they're sure that they've read the words, but they don't remember anything by the time they're done because their mind was somewhere else. Their attention wasn't fully directed at what they were trying to do. Their mind was off in another place. 
uh, we have a limited ability to focus on things at any given moment in time. And if all of that, if all those attentional resources are being soaked up by our chatter, it doesn't leave a whole lot left to devote to our jobs or, you know, even, even our sports. And so, um, so thinking and performance at work, chatter hits that. Chatter also undermines our relationships. It can create friction in our relationships with other people. And there are a few ways it does that. Um, one way has to do with attention. You know, you're, you're on, a, on a date or, or having dinner with someone. They're telling you about their day and your mind's somewhere else. And so you're not really listening. That can create friction. Another way chatter undermines our relationships is when we experience chatter, we're intensely motivated to share what's streaming through our head with other people, usually to get help. The problem is we find other people to talk to and then we, we tell them about our problems and then we keep on telling them about it over and over and over again because they're reverberating in our heads. So we keep on presenting it to other people and that can, that can create problems because there's often only so much even our most well-intentioned and loving friends and colleagues can endure. So relationship problems. Um, and then finally, physical health. Um, you know, we often hear that stress kills. That's not exactly true. Um, we know that the stress response is a useful response when you're experiencing a threat, the ability to quickly approach or avoid, super, super helpful. What makes stress toxic is when our stress response goes up and remains elevated chronically over time. And that's precisely what chatter does. We experience a stressor, we leave the situation, we keep on thinking about it over and over in our heads, essentially recreating that stressor in our body. And that's how, so that's how you get um, things like uh, chatter predicting cardiovascular disease and certain forms of cancer and, and a host of other negative maladies. So, so why does quelling chatter matter? If you care about thinking and performing well at work, if you want good quality relationships and good physical health, that's why quieting chatter matters. Uh, the good news is, as you said, there are lots of, lots of things people can do to manage this chatter, lots of tools that are out there that science has unearthed. And so, um, so if you do experience chatter, those negative consequences I just described are not, uh, are not necessarily um, uh, in your future. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, and you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I want to invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called the bottom line, the 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. And I want to tell you that this is a value packed ebook. So I want to, want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're going to get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com and enjoy the rest of the show. Well, first of all, thank you for bringing up all those examples. I think any person listening, myself included, can relate to the experience of reading a book and thinking about five other things and all these other stresses and things that you have going on in your life. And you just totally did not comprehend anything that you read. You can even probably relate to having a conversation with someone else and totally your mind wandering in all of these different directions. And I can see how that can impact relationships, right? Because if you're not listening to someone, and if you're not present with someone, 
you can obviously see how that can impact sort of the connection because the other person's chatter may be going off in a direction. Well, why isn't this person listening to me? Am I not interesting or what's their problem? And, you know, there's, it's just really interesting. It's almost like the compound effect of chatter in so many different directions, right? Because if you're trying to grow your knowledge by reading or listening to a podcast or, or having a conversation with someone else smart or someone that can give you some insight or wisdom and your chatter is taking you off into a different direction, there's so many negative values from that. And so when I think about the tools, right? When, now we, we can focus on what can we control, right? So there's many different things. Obviously, you know, one thing that I would love to get your take on is I believe this is really interesting is mental time travel. Could you talk a little bit about mental time travel and how we can harness that tool to not only control our, our, our conscious mind, but, but move forward in a positive direction? Sure. So um, mental time travel is particularly useful when you're dealing with an acute stressor, not unlike COVID as just one example. And, and what it involves is doing the following. When we're experiencing chatter, we often get immersed in our problem. We're thinking about the issue at hand with like tunnel vision. We can't widen the scope. We can't take a step back. Um, mental time travel helps us take that step back, helps us get some distance from our problems in ways that can be helpful. And what it involves doing is really, really simple. So think about how you're going to feel about the problem you're grappling with uh, a week from now or a month from now or a year from now after it has passed. What this typically does is it makes clear that what we're going through, as awful as it is, be it COVID, be it a botched deal, life will go on. And what most of us have experienced over time is usually like our emotions go up and eventually come down, right? There's, there's a natural, we call this our psychological immune system. Um, eventually the emotions will come down. And so the idea is that getting people to just really think about that can be very helpful when it comes to chatter because it gives us hope. It makes it clear that as awful as what we're going through is right now, it'll eventually fade. And, and that makes it much easier to endure. So this is a tool that I relied on during COVID when, you know, not so easy to, to, to do your job. Uh, you know, when, when your kids are like gnawing at your ankles, doing your <laughs> own work and, and you can't run when your lab isn't up and running all these other inconveniences. And if I dwelled on those neg negatives, you know, that wasn't so good for many things, my health and well-being. But when I, I thought, well, you know what, we're going to get a vaccine and about six from, months from now, we'll be back to traveling. And, and that just that that was a, a perspective shift that was really powerful. And, and so that's one easy thing you can do to work on your chatter. Now, I, I do want to say, because you know, there's no way we could talk about all these different tools science has done a pretty good job at identifying different tools. So we, we, in the book, I talk about 26, right? What we are still trying to figure out is what are the unique combinations of tools that work best for different people, given the different kinds of adversity or chatter that they're struggling with. And what I suspect we're going to learn is that there are different, different sets of tools that work for different people in different situations. Uh, until science can generate that knowledge, which we're actively working on doing, there's a real challenge here for listeners, which is to figure out what are the unique tools that work best for you. And so there is going to be a trial and error process. Mental time travel works really, really well for me in conjunction with some other tools, but it might work less well for some people in some situations. And if that happens, the suggestion is to try some other tools. And it makes me think of the combination of, you know, speaking to yourself in the third person as well as mental time travel, because, you know, I know that my own personal experience is sometimes when I step out of the problem and I give myself advice from a future me, perhaps, it yeah. tends to really work wonders. So you, could you talk a little bit about the power of speaking to yourself in the third person and maybe how that combination has maybe a compound effect as well? Yeah, uh, happy, happy to. So we call this distant self-talk and it involves when you're dealing with chatter, trying to give yourself advice like you were talking to a friend and use your name to do it. So and with the caveat that you should do this silently, not out loud. So, all right, Ethan, how are you going to manage the situation? Why are you feeling this way? What are you going to do? 
one of the things we know from lots of research is that it's much easier for us to give advice to other people than it is for us to take our own advice. And what distance self-talk does is it, it leverages the language to help us think about ourselves from a different perspective, like we're relating to another person. If you, if you think about when we use names and, we're like, and pronouns like you, most of the time that we use those parts of speech, we use them when we think about and refer to other people. So the idea is that when you use your own name to think about yourself, it's activating the, the neural hardware, the brain machinery that we use to think about others. So it's automatically shifting your perspective, making it much, much easier for you to give yourself sound advice. And sometimes that advice involves looking at the long-term and reminding yourself that, hey, as awful as what you're experiencing is right now, it'll eventually pass. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had to give a high stakes presentation and it, um, it was a little more stressful than usual because the organizers of the event kept on giving me different instructions about what they wanted me to do. Um, one minute it was record something, the next minute do it live. And we went back to record. It was a total um, merry-go-round of unpleasantness. Uh, merry, merry, merry-go-round is the wrong ride to talk about. <laughs> Vomit comet of unpleasantness. And um, at one point, I started to experience some chatter. And when I did, I activated these two strategies. Ethan, come on, man, get yourself together. You've given hundreds and hundreds of presentations. They go okay. And guess what? Next week, this is going to be in the in the rearview mirror. And and that those two mental shifts really did help me deal with this kind of with the with the chatter I was facing and and the talk did go just fine. So so those are two shifts. Both of them help give us some space and distance from what we're going through. And we find that th- those kinds of strategies, distancing tools, can often be really useful because again, chatter immerses us in our experience, tunnel vision, and when that happens being able to step outside of ourselves, step back and be really helpful. Yeah. And I've heard you say this before, but I think it's powerful to share here is that you mentioned that the antithesis to chatter is perspective. And it's almost like these tools to a large degree are shifting your perspective, right? We're just talking about speaking to yourself in the third person, but it also comes down to language. It also comes down to time travel and so forth, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and well, and, and the cool thing is that there are many ways of shifting our perspective. So we don't have to rely on just one. Language is one, mental time travel is another, um, being in, you know, experiencing the emotion of awe, right? Like being in the presence of something that's hard for you to explain the magnitude and significance of, be it uh, something in nature, like a great view or an amazing piece of art or an innovation, like a, like a spaceship, like that shifts our perspective. We feel smaller when we're in the presence of something vast that we have trouble explaining. Other people can shift our perspective. If you talk to the right people about your problems, they can help you reframe things in ways that shift how you think. And so in a certain sense, there are these perspective shifting tools all around us. And the hope of the book is... That, we, that I could shine a spotlight on, on what these tools are, where you could find them and show you how they work. So you don't just have to wait to stumble on them in your lives, right? So some people figure some of these things out just by living, but it doesn't have to be that haphazard. We know what these tools are. We know how they work. So here they are. And um, here's the science that explains how they work. And here's how you can use them in your life. Lives. I think it- I think it's so important because, you know, especially for folks who are real estate investors, entrepreneurs, you're encountering problems constantly, right? You're encountering challenges in your environment. And I feel like our community, you know, our chatter may be louder than, than most. And perhaps maybe we're just in tune with that. And so we've got to really engage in these type of conversations and these types of learnings and engage in our own practice to continue to grow and to compound our own encounter, you know, encounters with this chatter and with this inner voice. And there's other tools, right? You've talked about the tools in your book, which of course, we'll put a link in the show notes to chatter, the voice in our head, why it matters and how to harness it. But before we kind of wrap up this conversation, I'd love to get your thoughts on a couple things. The first thing 
um, venting, right? When we enter into challenges and problems, you know, and, and people get stressed out, especially real estate investors, we want to vent, right? We want to tell everybody about our problems and how bad things are. And oh my gosh, that feels so much better to just get that off my chest. So could you talk to me a little bit about sort of the, the pros and the cons of venting in particular? Sure. So um, a lot of us think that the key to um, getting through chatters to find someone to vent to venting can feel really good in the moment and enhance the bonds that two people share. Like it's good to know that, that, you know, Tyler, you and I are now buds and I can call you up with a problem, especially if it's real estate relevant and, um, and just have you be my, my, be there to listen. And, 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 and you know, you could validate what I'm going through. That feels good that there's someone there who cares enough about me that they take the time to connect. Um, so uh, venting may be really good for, for strengthening the bonds between people, but if all you do is vent about your problems, it doesn't actually help you work through them. Um, because when you're venting, you're not doing any reframing, you're not shifting your perspective. And so you often leave a conversation feeling just as upset, sometimes even more, as when you started because you've just rehashed all the negative elements of what happened to you. And so you're lit up. And so what we've learned is the best kinds of conversations between people when it comes to chatter actually involve doing two things. It is important to first express your emotions and vent to a certain degree. It is useful to establish that connection. But at a certain point in the conversation, the person you're talking to ideally helps shift your perspective helps broaden how you're thinking about the experience. So, you know, you come to me with a problem. Hey, so tell me about what happened. Oh, that really, that sucked. Um, hey, let me tell you. So, so have you thought about it like this way or, or I've gone through something like this. Here's what I did. And so you want to just try to start getting people to shift their perspective through different means at some point in the conversation. And uh, when you do that will vary depending on who you're talking to and how significant the chatter is, the more significant it is typically the more time we need in the venting stage before we're ready to shift to the reframing. But, but the short answer or wrap up here is don't just vent because that isn't going to help you work through the chatter. And it's important. I think it's a call to action for Elevate Nation to help each other shift perspectives, right? When someone is venting to you, it's not just about, hey, let's roll around in the mud together and let's, you know, ruminate in this negative experience, but let's help each other shift perspectives so that we can move forward in a positive direction, right? That's exactly right. I love exactly. that. If would, Could you touch on rituals just really quickly, if you don't mind, because I think this is a powerful one as well. This is something that, especially in the personal growth world, personal development world, you know, people are very regimented in terms of how they approach rituals. But could you talk about the science behind why rituals are important and how they can help us harness our inner voice as well? Sure. So rituals are, the way we define them scientifically is they're, they're rigid structured sequences of behavior. So they're things you do the exact same way every time and that have some meaning attached to them. What we know is that when people are experiencing chatter, they often feel like they don't have control of their mind. Their thoughts are in control. There's no order happening up here, right? It's disordered. What happens with rituals is because they're so regimented the way we do them, they give us a sense of order and control. And the sense of order and control that we derive from performing a ritual compensates for the lack of order we experience when we're experiencing chatter. So this is why you get people like myself who uh, is, are not, I'm not the most organized, neat guy, but when I'm experiencing chatter, I'll, or, you know, I'll put all the, my, the books away in my office and, and, and wash the dishes and carefully organize my space. I'm ordering my surroundings to provide me with a sense of order in my head. And as long as they're not taken to an extreme, rituals can be a useful tool for managing chatter. Yeah, I love that. And I think, man, we could go on for hours and hours and hours talking about all the tools, but I just want to encourage Elevate Nation to look up the book Chatter, to get familiar with Ethan's work because it's so powerful. And man, we all have this inner voice. It is continuous. It's constant. So how are we harnessing it rather than letting us, you know, letting it take us in the negative downward spiral direction. So I think it's so powerful. Ethan, thank you so much for this conversation. I want to transition into our rapid fire section. We call it the rare air questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon. It's all about encountering this inner voice and flipping it and using it 
you know, for our greater future. So I'd love to ask you a few questions as now being a prolific author yourself, I see the beautiful bookshelf behind you. I would love to know um, if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Uh, so Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. This is a book that I first encountered in graduate school and uh, I, uh, I read it every year before I teach. It's a story of, of uh, a psychiatrist named Victor Frankl who had everything taken away from him before World War II, was put in a concentration camp, but managed to not only survive, but thrive after it. And he did it by finding meaning. And it, I think it's an important uh, reminder of the power of that we all possess to reframe how we think about adversity in ways that allow us to, to thrive. So that would be one. Um, another book that, um, well, just totally shifting genres, I would just say a book that I'm reading right now, which I'm finding captivating is Malcolm Gladwell's Bomber Mafia. And it is a book that I find captivating, not because of the scientific lessons we draw from it, um, but, but rather for the kind of storytelling that is taking place. There's just a riveting, riveting read about something that I didn't think I'd find interesting um, before starting it. So, uh, so that's accessible on the head. Um, so a classic and a contemporary. That's awesome. And, and M Malcolm Gladwell is one of those authors that, man, really uh, strengthened my love for learning and reading. Because I remember reading The Tipping Point probably 12 years ago. And I was like, man, this is amazing. This is an amazing author and somebody who really digs deep and helps you understand. But I think it's also illustrative to just go back to your first recommendation on Man's Search for Meaning. I mean, books can be a tool for managing chatter, I would imagine, to a certain degree, right? You've got references to see that other people can find meaning and purpose through massive challenges. Is there anything that you would add to that? No, I think books can be a great way to learn. And, and one of the reasons I wrote this book was to, was to help people, period, no matter whether they're you know, teachers or real estate developers or you know, stay-at-home parents. I mean, um, I think Chatter's universal and, and the hope is that the science could be useful for people in all these different domains. So, uh, so I think books can be enormously helpful and I think stories are helpful. And, and that's really why... Uh, I, I flagged the Gladwell book because I think the better we can tell stories, um, the more impact we can have in, in disseminating some of the science. And, and good storytelling doesn't involve just telling a riveting story, but it involves doing it while maintaining faithfulness to your topic, right? Not exaggerating and not underselling or overselling. And I think there's a real art to being able to do that well. That's awesome, man. I just want to acknowledge your commitment to continuing to serve other people, whether it's through storytelling, continuing to raise your own effectiveness, continuing to uncover new science, new insights so that, you know, everyone can understand what's going on between our ears. Because look, we all have this blessing, but let's not let it be a curse. But Ethan, I'd love to ask you just a couple more questions before we wrap up here. What is the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis outside of what we've already talked about today? Uh, spending time with my kids is, is a personal elevator. It, you know, it's easy. There's always work and I love my work. I'm passionate about it, but, um, being able to, to connect with my, my two daughters and, and experience the world through their eyes is something unique and special and a reminder of just how, how fortunate I am to be a parent. Well, I'm extremely fortunate to be having this conversation with you, Ethan. My last question for you is, what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? Obviously, you contribute in such a big way through your work, through your books, um, and through your teachings. But what else, you know, what's, what, are, what are other ways that you elevate others around you? Um, I think I'm a pretty good chatter advisor to others. So I try to really help others when they come to me with, with, their, with their chatter. I help I help put it in perspective, help them figure out how to put it in, into perspective. And um, I think that's a, that's a benefit I provide. It's all a matter of perspective. You have given us that perspective today, Ethan. Thank you so much for being on Elevate. And uh, is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you have before parting for the day? Um, I, I, I guess the parting thoughts would be, if you experience chatter, congrats. 
welcome to the human condition and just know that that's that's a normal part of being a human being and there are lots of tools that that are out there that you can use to manage it that's awesome ethan cross ladies and gentlemen amazing episode amazing conversation you can find ethan cross at ethancross.com with a k and of course on linkedin or instagram at ethan cross and of course on twitter as well but ethan is there anywhere else where the listeners can find you beyond those locations I think that covers them all and, and the ethancross.com will give you, will open up the pathway to all the different, different routes to finding info on me in the book. So check it out. And of course you want to find out his book chatter, which is a highly touted book across Amazon, across all the booksellers, wherever you find books, go look up chatter. Ethan, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate you taking time. Hey, thanks for having me. Great conversation. Absolutely. Wow. I highly recommend that you go check out Chatter. It is a phenomenal book. Ethan is obviously a phenomenal psychologist and world-class individual, someone who is obviously helping us understand and tame this inner voice so that it can bring us to where we want to go instead of bring us into some ditch of a place where we don't want to be, right? Because we can go either direction, right? We have a choice and we have a choice to harness this beautiful tool called our brain, called our mind, called our conscious mind, and we can leverage this. It is so amazing to know that there's 26 tools. And of course, scientists are continuing to uncover more and more tools for us to leapfrog our future and to become that next version of ourselves, to create this amazing real estate empire that can support our greatest desires and dreams. And it can allow us to contribute to other people. It can allow us to transform the world around us. It can allow us to be impactful, right? But it all starts here. It all starts in our mind. So what's the choice that you're making? So I want to encourage you to consider preventative mental training, right? We're talking about tools. We're talking about incorporating and integrating all of what we talked about today, making that a habit. And so I want to encourage you to identify what are your top three takeaways from this show today? And look, if you want me to make it even easier on you, I'm going to challenge you. What's the number one thing from today's episode that you are going to incorporate into your life? What is it that you're going to take action on immediately? Who can hold you accountable in your network? Share this with them and let them know, hey, here's what I'm looking to take action on. Here's the deadline that I'm setting for myself. May I check in with you at this date to let you know my progress, right? Because man, accountability is amazing. It's power. Repetition is also the mother of all skills. So listen to this episode again. I just want to encourage you most importantly to take massive action and to incorporate what you learned today. But until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.